Welcome to the Community Colleges Australia podcast. I'm Ryan Pemberton. This is the third episode in our eight-part series on board governance and executive leadership. In the first two episodes, we looked at some examples of best-case board behavior. Well, in this episode, Wayne Condon and Ty Wiggins, co-founders of Converge Consulting, will guide you through some of the ways a board can get off track. What are some of the common causes? And when your board does go awry, how do you course correct it? Here's Ty Wiggins. Some of the common problems that you see with a rogue board is within the board itself, significant infighting, disagreement, lack of alignment, just not getting along. That would be one aspect. Another aspect would be where we have boards with a lot of directors that are trying to get off the board and can't. Um, so we've got a we've got a dysfunctional board in that we've just held directors in too long. Um, likewise, where we've got boards where the directors have chosen to stay too long and are too involved in the organisation, and that would be another aspect. But I think where we've seen it really impact colleges is where the board and or chair significantly disagree with what the CEO is doing or the direction the college is going in and they try to exert their power to change that. So what we see is either the board stepping into the management role and trying to take control of the ship per se or the CEO working diligently to remove key members of the board. It's hugely distracting for a college. It can really put the entire college at risk because the college can't really function without an effective board. The CEO becomes very distracted, and this whole in-between period, the college is not functioning. So I think where we forget what we're trying to do and what success looks like for both roles, we can end up with a situation where the the board goes rogue. Where we see it most destructive is is really where, and unfortunately it is often the chair, where the chair decides that certain things should be done and the chair steps into what is essentially an, a functioning CEO role, and we clash with the CEO around what should be happening and what shouldn't be happening. So you end up with essentially two leaders of the organisation trying to push it in different directions. It's a conflict that can't survive. So this is often the case is that the chair and or the director will decide that the college needs to be doing something different. And then we see a whole bunch of unhealthy behaviour. That's where we start to see the board meeting without the CEO even when the CEO is actually on the board and doing a whole bunch of things which are unconstitutional in terms of the board's constitution and, you know, in many ways just improper. And this is a downward spiral as the relationship falls apart and falls apart and falls apart. When those situations arise, how do they usually resolve? One of two things generally happens. will often become an issue between the board and the CEO. One of those parties will stay and the other will leave. We've certainly seen boards, some through sort of malicious intent, others through just issues that they have as a group of people, result in the um, exit of some really good CEOs across the college sector. We've also seen it the other way, but it's less. So I think what generally happens is one of those two parties win. The CEO generates enough support, the difficult directors are removed or resign, or vice versa, the chair slash board remove the CEO and the process tends to start again. What should the chair do if one director is attempting to commandeer the board, trying to dominate the conversation? 
the chair should definitely take that um, director to task over their behaviour, confirm their agenda and interest in being part of the board. Uh, and if the behaviour is very negative, you know, obviously caution that that's not the way the board should function and it's not helpful. This is better done initially one-on-one, but if you've got a situation where a director is behaving poorly in a board meeting, all the other directors should actually call that director on their behaviour. If it's not called at the time, it can be difficult to to really address later on. And, and ultimately, you know, we've got a, such an interesting situation because the directors volunteer their time, so we're very appreciative of, of what they do. But it is also very important, and as I've said to numerous boards across colleges, the college sector is such that where community colleges especially fall over, they don't get back up. So it's the role of the board is very important. You know, you're on your watch, the college needs to prosper. It needs to be set up well so that it's in your community for the next 20 to 30 years because if it doesn't survive, nobody fills the gap and the community is poorer for it. So it's a very serious obligation, albeit voluntary. So the chair certainly has the obligation to address negative director behaviour and to do so promptly and you know, seriously. What can you do in terms of early intervention to ensure that a board does not go off the rails in the first place? I think if you're the CEO, I would be talking to directors that you felt were okay, I guess, aligned to your position. If you were the chair, I would be doing the same thing, but also being quite close with the CEO in terms of board behaviour. I would quickly engage the support of CCA and other colleges surrounding for support. And then I might even engage an external party fairly quickly to to make sure that the whole process is managed well. The worse it gets, the harder it is to fix. And you end up with a greater number of casualties if you let it go on. And as many colleges will attest, it's it's tough to recruit directors. So having a handful of really good directors go through a rogue board incident could often taint them against being a director and you, you run the risk of losing the entire board. Some are good, some are bad, but you, you, you could lose them all. So getting in early and addressing it quickly is important. In order to address the problem effectively, you need to be able to identify the cause of the problem. And sometimes that isn't immediately obvious, as Wayne Condon explains. Often the things that we see are, are driven by things that we don't. So. You know, if we look at a series of wallpaper on the wall and that the wallpaper is peeling back and we look at that, that wallpaper and we get some kids glue and we fix it up and it lasts a week and then we, in another week it starts to peel off again and we go to Bunnings, we get a, some you know professional treatments and we do all of that, it lasts a month and it continues to peel back. And some people attack that wallpaper for years and years and years. The actual issue is up through that wall, up into the roof, there's a, there's a cracked roof tile. And every time there's a heavy dew or there's some rain, then that water's going to seep down in through that base of that wall and it's going to cause the wallpaper to peel. So unless we fix that roof tile, we're never going to correct the symptom of the wallpaper peeling, right? In this aspect, then, we've got to identify what the roof tile is. We've got to identify what the actual function of performance and where it's lacking. And often that comes down to a skill or a will. So what we can do about that 
is if it's a skill, there's an aspect that we need to be able to address in some sort of support, performance or development. If it's a will, it's a, it's a, it's a whole different conversation. And if that's causing the problems and the issues to, to emerge, then unless that changes, then the outcomes are not going to change. So we need to be able to address that in two simple and completely different ways. What would be the approach if it was one of these two problems, if it was a skill problem versus a will problem? Well, the skill problems is often easier. You know, it's often if we, if we haven't got a, you know, a fiscal understanding or we've got a board member that brings, you know, other skills to the, to the table but hasn't got a particular skill on which we, we are currently bogged in or we are currently facing, it's a concern, then we can assist by delivering and supporting and giving some extra development around that particular skill. Sometimes if it's a way in which communication is happening outside with the management of the business within particular board members, then we can help with communication skills. There's different areas that we can assist. If it's a will, then it's a purpose-driven function. So that I haven't got the desire or the, or the elements to change in the way in which I do it. So you're willing to do it or you're not. And if that's the case on the other side, then that's either productive or counterproductive to the business and the organisation and to that board. And so unless that changes that will changes, then you can't go forward. So it's often a more delicate discussion that you've got to have. But first thing is the awareness of what that is, of course, and that's the aspect of where the board members have got to stand up and be counted and be able to say, yes, I'm witnessing this as well, and that's not what we're after, and that's not what we agreed to. Wayne says that correcting the course of the board is a collective responsibility, but ultimately it's the chair who sets the direction. It's the chair that's the leader here. And I think that the role of the chair, like all leaders, is not necessarily to come up with the answers, but the role of the chair is to create the environment where these outcomes can be changed. I think as the chair here, you need to detail exactly what you want, you know, a clear vision of the board's performance and what that needs to look like, you know, initially. Then it's the responsibility collectively. So the chair creates the, the lantern on the hill, so to speak. The board's role then is to ensure that its actions and activities assist and guide the organisation towards that lantern, the lantern being the agreed and understood series of, of objectives. That's a collective responsibility. There's an aspect you need to, to revert back to, you know, the documented elements of what we signed up for here so that truly must understand the roles and accountabilities of the board you know, the board must hold each other accountable directly to that. So we've got a mandate, you know, here to do it. We agree to this, you know, and I think that the collectively must be prepared to, to challenge poor behaviour, you know, and be able to, to commit and communicate to that. And I think there's an element underneath this that, that says what we are here to do and remember that our responsibility around governance and aspects, that is not only a, an organisational requirement, this is often a legal requirement. You know, just to remind each other this is a factor, you know, that we put our hands up. We have a specific responsibility here in order to deliver these outcomes on behalf of the organisation. Are we travelling in the best intentions of that organisation? If the answer that's no, then that's got to stop. If the answer that's yes, then we need to be able to, to move forward with or without the members. And that is, you know, elements need to be removed. The aspect or, or behaviour that's concerning us in this instance needs to be removed or the person Delivering it needs to be. Might sound a little bit hard, but sometimes that's what's needed. Just like Ty mentioned at the start of this episode, 
The worse the problem gets, the harder it is to fix it. And in order for any issues to be identified and addressed quickly, there has to be a culture that encourages open and honest discussion. You must encourage each board member to display their intent to explain what they wish to do about an event or an issue and and why they are doing that. If we have a culture of honest conversations, courageous and authentic conversations, I think constructive conflict is a good thing. You know, I think having a blue around the bedroom table is a great thing if we're all looking at the same outcome and, you know, and trying to do exactly what's right for the organisation and its people. As long as that's respectful, as as long as you get a balanced view. But what we don't want is is people sitting around having polite conversations and going nowhere. You know that N-I-C-E, Brian, N-I-C-E, nice. You know what that stands for? What? It stands for nothing inside me cares enough. (laughs) Right? So we want to sit around being polite and everyone being nice and nothing getting done. I think we've got to create a culture of the board. It's a, it's a philosophy that must be reiterated, you know, to bring us the bad news, bring us what's wrong, tell us what you're worried about. But that culture has to be developed. You just can't assume that it's there. You've been listening to season three of the Community Colleges Australia Governance and Leadership podcast series produced by Audiocraft with funding support from the New South Wales government. Next episode, how to craft a great strategic plan. In the end, ultimately, all that stuff needs to be captured on one page because there's no point having a strategic plan that lives in the bottom drawer of someone's desk. We want this to live and breathe and see the light of day every day. That's in the next episode of the CCA Governance Podcast Series. You can find all our episodes at cca.edu.au.